narratives of folks who live in cultures that are different from yours. Start listening to podcasts of folks from different cultures or different identities than you are. And that then proximity becomes less of this extra thing and it just becomes a way of doing business. It becomes a way of seeing the world in which you're not only learning, but you're also slowing your roll and checking yourself. Welcome to Let's Get Proximate, the podcast that explores the stories, experiences, and challenges of others so we can learn to innovate, create, and collaborate with lived experiences different from our own. Join hosts Alex Allen and Callie McKee as they explore the power in proximity, leveraging the value of meaningful interactions and insights to disrupt false narratives and foster understanding that leads to real and lasting transformation. Let's dive into the latest episode and learn more about creating an inclusive future for all. This episode is brought to you by Cisco, an industry leader in technology innovations and solutions. With networking, security, collaboration, cloud management, and more, Cisco helps securely connect industries and communities, creating the bridge to possible. Find out more at www.cisco.com. Welcome to the Let's Get Proximate podcast. I'm Alex Allen. My pronouns are he, him. And today I'm wearing a blue short sleeve polo shirt. I would call it a light blue shirt. And I'm just so excited to be here today. I am the senior director for diversity, equity, inclusion, our go-to-market strategy at Cisco. And I'm joined by Callie McKee. Hey, y'all. It's good to be back together, Alex. It's good to be back on the pod. Callie McKee, I use she, her pronouns. I work with Alex and lead up DEI skill building at Cisco. I'm a white woman with brown and gray hair. Today, I'm wearing my green glasses, my black blazer, and as usual, a band t-shirt. Today, I'm sporting old school. This is Sean Colvin. So old school today. Super excited to look back, Alex, with you today. Yeah, we're going to reflect on some of the highlights from the season's episodes and our guests. Again, a huge thank you to the 1X Customer and Partner Experience Engineering for sponsoring this podcast. Unfortunately, Callie, this is our last podcast. Say it ain't so, Alex, no. But it's going to be cool. It's going to be really cool because what we're going to do is we're going to take about five highlights from past podcasts, and we're just going to reflect on what we've learned, what we've heard, and all the great things that we've discussed over the last two months. Callie, let me give it it to you to get us started. All right, Alex. Listen, I have so loved this proximity journey that we've taken together. I've so loved the podcast. It's given us a chance to bring people in meet some new people. And what I love especially is learning more about people that we thought we knew. And this first guest, this first clip is a prime example of it. So this is Rachel. Rachel works here as a legal counsel at Cisco. But Rachel and I go way back. Alex, I've known Rachel since our time at University of Michigan way back. And I will say, speaking to Rachel, there were some things I knew about her past. I knew about her background. I thought we were proximate, Alex. And then I heard Rachel talk on this pod and just really deep dive into some of the things and how it's really impacted her as she's grown, as she's worked at Cisco, as she's matured as a person. And so this one was just such a real treat for me is to be able to remember that there's always room to get proximate to somebody, even if you think you know them. So we're going to listen to this clip now, and then I'd love to hear your reactions to this episode. Awesome. As an adoptee, I consider myself very lucky in many ways where I had a lot of opportunities that I may not have otherwise had. But growing up as the only adoptee in the environment that I knew of until much closer to high school, the only Asian person in my family, the only Asian person that I had ever known. Yeah. It was definitely 
difficult. Yeah. I consider myself very much a foreigner in my own family in that regard, where as mm. much as my parents loved me and wanted to share with me everything they knew about what it was like to grow up and the difficulties that they faced, you know, in the end, they're also white folks, right? They identify yeah. as white. And my mother's Jewish. She had to deal with a lot of discrimination that she grew up with where she was. But it's hard to compare, you know, the experience yeah. of someone growing up racially dominant. And in my situation, mm. very much not. And so they were loving but wholly unprepared to have a really authentic conversation about what it meant to be a person of color. And yeah. so I had to navigate that and come up with what it meant to be Asian by myself through magazines and watching TV and seeing what's her name, men on, Bar on Barney and Friends, you know, like little things like that, like pulling little snippets of yes. culture from things that were kind of shown to me and not really ever having a chance to learn it from someone in particular. Whew. All right. That was a good one. Alex, I'm interested. What really hit you? I know this was a really great episode. Hit us both for different reasons. So what did you hear? What resonated with you? What resonated with me was Rachel growing up as an adoptee mm. and being the only Asian person in her family. From my wow. experience, Callie, growing up in a community where it was predominantly white, I connect with that. I connect with that deeply related to her being a one and only and the mental tax that it has to really be able to understand mm. who you are, what they call code switching, being one way at home and then having to be another way at work. That's what I connect with. She had that mm. all around her. So I thought that's really compelling there. I think her comment around being a foreigner in her own family is something I did not have to deal with. So I'm thinking right. about the dynamic of being a foreigner in your own family, in your own community. It's got to be just incredibly difficult to navigate. That absolutely widened my lens related to that. And I also was compelled around how she was learning about Asian culture through TV. Now, I might have gotten yeah. that. I may not have said that perfectly, Callie, but wow, being able to see yourself or see images of yourself or what you relate to through TV and not at home is something I did not have to deal with growing up. I had my Black family in my Black yeah. household, and I didn't have to deal with that until I left the home. So at least I had that comfort and security. So, Rachel, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Oh, Alex, thank you for sharing, because I love to hear as we get proximate, we always say getting proximate is getting proximate to ourselves too, right? And so finding those connection points in there, it just struck me. And I think that her ability just to be able to reflect on that, to be able to really understand her own narrative, and she's still figuring it out like we all are. But I, that that struck me about her as well. It's just this being able to look back and say, you know, this is really what that was. And having loving parents that she's very close to and that she knows are doing their best and then also being able to identify points in which they couldn't possibly understand. So that widened my lens. And I will say I did connect with in a different way that the images on TV and thinking about that stuff because I didn't know sexual orientation wise, gender wise. I didn't know where that was, but I knew I was different. And I remember not seeing a lot of those girls who were like I was on TV and the ones you did see were caricatures, right? So I think Rachel even talked about it's from Barney and Friends is where she saw someone represented. So that interesting kind of having to form your own narrative and then go back and reflect. It really struck me. All right. So we could talk about Rachel forever. And I want to talk about for our next clip, I just want to bring up our friend and colleague, Mary Fernandez, another great conversation. And Mary was so great because, well, Mary's just full of energy and she's just a joy to talk to anyway. 
But I think Mary brought up some really great things. And she's certainly been a teacher for a lot of us at Cisco here, but just a way to think about accessibility and accommodation. So I'd love to play this clip as a reminder for all of us of some of the things that Mary certainly taught me even during this episode. Buildings will have quote unquote accessible entrances, but they will be Mm. around the back of the building. So there's huh? this joke that everybody has within like the disability community or quadriplegic wheelchair users who are like, yeah, you know, we always have to go by the dumpsters. Imagine if yeah. you and a non-disabled person, every time you had to go in somewhere, you had to go in literally through the back door. Like what right. is that message giving you? It's like mm. you're a second class citizen. Historically, right. socially, we made people who were inferior in some way socially, right? Like people who right. were in service, racially in America, Black people. We had separate doors for them because mm-hmm. they were not as good as whoever the dominant work group is. And that's what we still do for disabled people. And we think it's okay because at least you're getting in. Like, what else do you want? Why do you want to come in through the front door? At least we're doing you the favor of letting you in. Technically, there's an inclusive design, right? Like you are letting them in, technically inclusive, but that certainly does not feel like belonging. It doesn't feel Mm. like acceptance. It doesn't feel like I am valued. I'm an equally valued human as everybody else. All right, Alex, Mary gave us a great metaphor here. She connected it back to something I think made it very real to me when we talk about that difference between accommodations and accessibility. What did you hear? What did you take away from this episode? Yeah, this one hit home. This one hit home really impactful. Just last night, Callie, my son, my oldest son, Eric, is playing for George Mason soccer. Mm -hmm. And Bryce, my son Bryce, who has a disability, he has cerebral palsy, and he can't walk long, long distances. Mm -hmm. And so the accessible ramp to the actual stadium is actually around the back of the stadium. And so when we were trying to get into this game, as Mary mentioned in her speech there, it was around this not really made for people that are disabled. And so we have to now, I don't want to have to bring his wheelchair all the way. Then I got to deal with the wheelchair in the stands. So in our family, we walked all the way around the back of the stadium to then get to the accessible ramp, the access to stands for us to sit. And so when I think of what Mary's saying, and she talked about something that really hit home with me too, is around the separate but equal, right? Idea. Yes. And so when I'm thinking about how my parents grew up and they had Jim Crow laws around mortgages and basically mm. having redlining and Mary said something, but at least we're giving it to you. At least we're giving you the mortgage or at least we're giving you the right. opportunity to be able to assess the building. That's where it really hit me deeply around my own racial identity around separate but equal and the systemic barriers around that. I think you hit it. The nail in the head when you talk about systemic barriers, right? And so- When Mary was talking, it was such a learning moment for me as somebody who doesn't have a physical disability and is not thinking about that stuff, Alex. And so the importance of designing with the community and not for the community, even what you just said about Bryce and getting into the stadium and all of those things, it makes you wonder, it's like, did they talk to parents or did they talk to folks with those disabilities who have to challenge that? And Mary tells a couple of other stories about that as well, about products that were improved so to speak, without the perspective of those with disabilities that actually made it harder, harder for them to access, harder for them to enjoy. And so that was a widening lens for me is just thinking about that concept of, I think, the separate but equal that hits so deep in our history. And I also think this is one of those opportunities that we really have a chance in the tech industry, at Cisco, just creative thinkers 
all over to really change the way in which we are thinking about design. That idea of designing from the margins first. And when we create a ramp that works for Bryce or we create a way in, we create a better way in for everybody. We create a better way for my wife who just had knee replacement and can't walk all the way around the stadium. For somebody else, my friend who has a young child and has a stroller or an elderly person or anybody who could have benefited from that. To me, it was a challenge for all of us to keep thinking about who's not in the room when we're making those design decisions. Callie, I just want to double click real quick on the experience for Bryce at the soccer yeah. game. And you've always talked about like this intent versus impact. And so mm. I just want to double click and just spend 30 seconds on this. Is that Please. because Bryce and our family had to walk, I would estimate a half mile to access the accessible ramp. And by the time we can get him up into the stadium, he's now tired. Now he can't enjoy the experience of watching oh. his brother play. And so the intention is good to have an accessible ramp, but the impact to our family is deeper than just Jealous. walking, having to walk an extra half mile, right? That half mile impacts his experience. It's later at night. He needs to get to bed earlier. Just That's things right. of that sort is just something I wanted to mention to the audience here too. So well, it's quality. The margins, your idea around yeah. us being able to design with is such an important piece to what we want to do at Cisco as well. 100%. And what we're talking about is a quality experience. Mary said, it's just enough that you can get in. But the experience, to your point of what happens then when I have to go around to the back of the building and enter, what kind of experience and what am I saying? I remember working on this with some students I was working with who were going to go and manage theaters and art venues and things. And I said, what does your physical space say about your values? And that's what I want people to continue to think about, too. Connection to your values and how that shows up on all your places. All right, Alex, I'm going to move to one more. And this is our friend, Jack. And Jack Naidu joined us and talked a little bit about when becoming aware of race and showed up for you. And there were so many nuggets. I will say, <laughs> Alex, Jack is one of our people partners that we work with in EMEA. And there were so many nuggets in his story and so many, I felt like I was watching Jack just connect the dots and come to these realizations, although I know it's something he had thought about. So Jack's going to talk a little bit about this idea of being aware of an identity or when the first time that actually clicked or that connected the dots. And that was really, I thought that was really powerful. So let's play the clip. I think when I became acutely aware of race and how it was played was when I started my first job. So I went through university. I majored in economics, accounting, and industrial psychology, right? Had no intention of ever landing in HR. Accountant was the way to go. I come from a family background. And it's interesting when I talk to Indian colleagues all around the world, they tell me that's one thing that Indian families have in common is that from a very young age, our parents want us to become doctors, lawyers, and accountants. And, and in South Africa, it is very much the same. So I chose on the accounting route because I was good at numbers. Math was my strength. So went to university, got a BCom degree in accounting, economics, and industrial psychology. Started working in a bank because my brother worked in a bank. And uh, he said, oh, why don't you come and join me? So I started in a retail bank in South Africa that was later acquired by a big British bank. And that actually, if I think about a pivotal moment in my life, that's when as I said, I became acutely aware and I realized that, wait a minute, something's not right because all of a sudden I felt, I don't often use the term victim, but I was like, again, yeah. reflecting years later, I was a victim of lots of things that had happened. So powerful stuff from Jack there, Alex, about that moment of realization. What connected with you or what did you hear in that clip? Yeah, I know Jack was like reaching for words and I think he wanted to say something impactful. So I use the word victim, probably not the word that I would use, 
I would use the word impacted in that situation. Mm. However, I would say that what I took away was his reflection. Rachel mentioned it. You mentioned it with Rachel at the top of this broadcast. But I also would say from being marginalized myself, it's very difficult in the moment to respond the way you would want to respond. Sometimes you have to actually think and process in the moment, actually what just happened. And I can sense that from my own lived experiences and also can connect with Jack's lived experiences. And it's interesting, the reflection is both therapeutic, but also impactful. The mental tax to reflect on a situation that you may have wanted to handle differently or that impact that you've had from another person, that is actually very difficult to deal with. And I feel that with my own self, right? As things happen to my own experience or things happen that I feel like I'm marginalized over my career, now I can actually think back on those situations and I have actually a clearer picture of what actually happened from those experiences. Thank you for sharing that, Alex, because I think it's such an important piece when we think about So two things are hitting me. One is an ally, right? As we talk about our learning and and how we show up is that sometimes I think we can get impatient. That person never said it was a problem to me or I didn't understand. They never said anything. And I always want to encourage us and I have to remind myself of this to pause and say, listen, let's talk about all the stuff that's going on for that person. There's self-preservation. There's processing time. There is all those connections. And as allies, part of what we sometimes need to do is not be so in a rush for our own learning that we forget to hold space for that for our friends and colleagues, that we don't forget to hold space for that connection. That is a privilege, right? So I'm really thinking about that. And then I'm also thinking about just from a social justice lens, when I think about folks kind of coming to terms with that, and I think about women's rights, and I think about LGBTQ rights, and all of those things where you're kind of dealing with this stuff, Alex, and it's piling up, and then all of a sudden you start talking to other people, and you start realizing that the stuff you went through is not okay, or the stuff you went through wasn't just your personal problem, or I had one terrible boss. You start to see that connection and that systemic discrimination and marginalization. And you need a minute. (laughs) Like That's big. That's a big thing. And so as allies having those conversations with folks and as folks experiencing ourselves, like we have to slow our roll a little bit and give folks some time to process that. We need to allow folks to be messy in that processing, to find and seek community that may not be us as allies to be able to find connection and validation with. So it's a process. We can't rush allyship. And this is a great example of why, I think. I think it is too, Callie. Let me just make a mention for the people, my own lived experience around being marginalized. There are many times early in my career where I have been marginalized and in the moment I haven't said anything. Mm -hmm. And then I haven't had the confidence to go back to that person or deal with that situation. Yeah. And so I think over time, as I've learned and I've grown to be more confident in situations that are happening around me and more aware of that, and I've been able to reflect and process, I actually can handle those situations a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Now, I may not immediately get back to the person, but over time, and you've experienced this with me, Callie, right? Where, yeah. I've, oh, hold on a second. I felt like that was a little bit not right. Let me process. You and I have processed the situation. Yeah. You from an ally perspective and also being a friend of mine, I've been going back to the person and saying, okay, let me talk to you about how it landed with me 
that may not have been your attention, but let me share with you how that landed with me based on my lived experience. And that has helped me be able to deal with interpersonal relationships Mm -hmm. and interactions in a much better way where I feel honored, right? That's right. And so just giving the courage to people out there when you are marginalized, reflect, process, and then handle that situation you feel is best for you to honor yourself. Oh, I love that. Best for you to honor yourself. We had so many guests that were impactful. I know we could talk about them all, but Alex, I'd love to hear from you. What were some of your moments that you're still thinking about from our podcast season? Yes, my favorite one or one of my favorites of the many that we've had, Callie, was with Jim and Shania. Shania is one of our diversity, equity, inclusion leaders in the organization for their sales organization and marketing. And then Jim is a director in our sales specialist organization. And they met through the Proximity Initiative. So they had their very first meeting together. They didn't know each other. And they met each other through the Proximity Initiative. And this blossomed into this multi-year journey, as Jim referenced in his podcast. An interesting piece, though, I want to just mention is that I want you all to really focus on Shawnya's commitment or investment into Jim as one of the keys to successes in this podcast episode. I'd like to just tee up a clip from the Jim and Shawnya episode, and then we'll come back and we'll reflect on it. At Cisco, I think this is where a key identity shift occurred for me, and it all started with the proximity initiative and the multiplier effect. It drove some activity that caused me to become more proximate to people and things that are different than my life's experiences. And it put me in situations that pushed me way out of my comfort zone because it required me to look outside of who I am and where I live and the bubble I live in and all of my life's experiences to really see and experience it from other people's viewpoints. And I would say the proximity initiative, it kicked off a multi-year proximity journey for me, which has led to a significant change in my viewpoints. It's led to change in how I present myself, how I listen, how I've developed as a leader, how I've developed as a human being. Faith is a big part of my identity. And, you know, Shania and I have a little bit of that in common there. So that's good. But as I deepened my faith and as I went on my proximity journey, I really just found empathy. And I think once you find empathy, your life changes. Wow. What an episode that was. Jim and Shania, their willingness to engage in an open and honest and transparent way. Kelly, what are some of your thoughts from that episode? First of all, just what you said, having both of them come on and not only have proximity conversations with each other. But then be able to come out and talk about all of the journey leading up to that, the learnings that they both had on both sides. You talked about Shania and Shania's patience and really willingness. It's not something we ask for all the time, but her willingness to be a continual teacher and mentor and then get mentorship and teaching back. But really having that commitment because they've formed that relationship. One of the things that Jim said that really struck me, and he mentioned it at the end, was this idea of empathy. I'm a big empathy gal. I have an arts background. I often say, you talk about the the arts and DEI learning as an empathy gym, right? Helps us build our empathy muscles. And I think a lot of times we get stuck in this idea of empathy as soft skills, right? As these nice to haves. And what I loved about what Jim was talking about is that Jim was saying, listen, empathy isn't this other skill that I have. It's this driving force that proximity or getting proximate has allowed me to build and work on and ingrain into kind of how I approach things. And so I loved hearing Jim talk about his process of widening his lens. And I will say, Alex, it resonated with me because even as somebody who works as a DNI professional, as we do, That is not a process of, hey, we opened our lens, we're good, we're done. It is a constant, 
you know what? Let me pause. Let me reframe. I had a moment with a colleague this week where I realized the impact of maybe a word or words I was using. It was landing differently. The intent was different. And so having that continual process of widening our lenses, getting better, and then really being able to have those relationships. So I will say, Alex, the thing that I connected with the most is how grateful I am, my relationship with you over the last few years. Because I feel like we've gotten to a point now where we have some really great conversations. And I know when things come up that we're talking about, especially situations with race and gender and sexual orientation in the United States, I feel like we've established a place where we can really have those connections. What I would say is you don't have to be in the proximity program to start cultivating those relationships and practicing our empathy. But it really made me, I can't love you anymore, Alex, but it made me love you a bit more, I have to say, and just really appreciate that. No, I appreciate you, Callie. You know how I feel about you. And I just want to say to the audience is that I get the question of what's the action that leaders and employees are taking as a result of the proximity initiatives. And in this video, you can see the action as Callie mentioned was Jim's perspective in widening his lens around empathy and being more empathetic. And so I want that to really settle in with you all to understand that Jim being authentic and Shonya being authentic, transparent, and humility mm. related to how they interact with each other created the connection. And that's where you get the further the relationship or the deeper, more meaningful relationships that turn in from getting proximate into other experiences that drive change in the organization. I would say that both Jim and Shonya, due to their idea of getting proximate together, have both grown. And that's the key to the proximity initiative. It's the catalyst to the further engagement. It's the catalyst to seek to understand difference. And you have to have the right mindset to be able to do that in the most appropriate way. Such a great gift that they gave us. And, and so good, Alex, the work you did talking with them both. That's the first time we've had two people on the podcast. And I thought that was a really nice change and really nice way to showcase that. And last, but definitely not least, oh, last video here is from our Chief Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Officer, Gloria Goins. Let's go. Gloria takes it to another whole nother level, Callie. Takes it to <laughs> a whole nother level. And we're going to watch her clip. But I just want to mention she brings all of the entire episodes of all the podcasts together. There's reflection. There's the marginalization. There's being the one and only. It's around designing from the margins. It's all of this in this last clip that we're going to watch. I don't want to hold us up anymore. Let's go right into the clip for Gloria Goins. Whenever you give me coaching and feedback about things that I say and do that are not inclusive, mm -hmm. I embrace them. Because even though I've been doing this work for 23 years, I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I still have unconscious biases when I'm a human being, right? Yeah, so, we all do. So even though my lived experience and shared identity allows me to see things that others can't see, what I'm also cognizant of is that I have some of the same unconscious biases as others who don't look like me do. Why? Mm -hmm. Because we all live in the same society. We all got the same messages. That's We've right. internalized that, right? There's an old saying when I used to teach unconscious bias training, to predominantly African-American audiences, I would say, friends, recognize that bias and racism is not just something that happens to Black people. It happens through Black people. Ooh. Ooh. So I don't make the automatic assumption that because I've got a shared experience that I know everything about her. What a clip. 
and what a podcast that we had with Gloria Goins, Callie. You and I were able to go on that one together. We shared that one. It was super meaningful to all of us related to having Gloria on the podcast. I want to turn it right over to you. What's your perspective? What are your takeaways? Listen, Alex, this whole podcast, I feel like I just needed a minute. Like the whole time, I knew we were supposed to be doing interviews and I just felt like I just needed a minute to step away and just because Gloria was just dropping some truth as we expect her to do, right? One of the things I learned so much from her when she talks, she does so masterfully weave in her own experiences with these learning moments as well. And it's something that I just love. And when she talked about this idea of when we talk about oppression, when we talk about marginalization, it impacts everyone. So when we're talking about a certain community facing discrimination or oppression or marginalization, that impacts everyone. One of the things I think about just personally, I was thinking back to, I have a younger brother and I call him the reluctant activist, right? Because he's not a really outspoken guy. He's very quiet, but he's very smart. But he's always just been right on with women's issues and gender issues and all of these things. And he's a cis white straight guy. And I'm always like, and I remember asking him one time, what's your stake? Like, why are you? And he said, listen, this stuff is bad for everybody. Because what I don't like is I don't like to see when I see toxic masculinity that reflects back because that's not how I am as a man. And I don't want that to represent me. And so he was talking about kind of these systems that impact us all. So when we talk about misogyny showing up, It's not just bad for women or for trans folks or for non-binary folks. It's bad for folks of all genders. When we talk about racism and xenophobia, that's not just bad for folks who are experiencing in the same thing. It is also bad for folks who are of all faiths in all cultures and all races and religions and ages and all of these things that we're talking about. Harm hurts everyone. Now, it hurts everyone differently. But when we can fix it for some, again, we're going back. We can fix it for others. This also means... What I heard Gloria saying is that I still have to do my own work. I still have to do my own work, even around my own identity, right? Being LGBTQ or identifying as lesbian doesn't mean that I have got it all figured out and that I can just say, this is what the lesbian experience is in America, or this is what the white woman experience is in America, that I have to remain open because I am still living in a system that is based on a system of some people are held at a higher esteem than other folks. So That system piece is what really hit me with Gloria, just that reminder of we're all living in it and it's impacting us, period, end of story. It's impacting us. Yeah, Callie, I think you said it much better than the way I'm going to say it, but I had to check myself. Oh, Gloria was talking about Black people having or being influenced by the dominant narrative or systems that are established and being influenced by that. I had to go check myself because I'm thinking, how do I perceive other Black people or perspectives around gender or Black women or Black men? And I had to really go think about that episode. In that moment, Mm. I actually feel like I may have widened my lens and I wanted to actually check my own bias there and really understanding my own identity. And I think as we conclude this podcast episode... I just want to say that the most important thing and the most important takeaway that I have, and love to hear your thoughts, Callie, for our audience, is to understand who you are, how your Mm -hmm. perspectives are shaped, your own lived experience. I would tell you personally, over the last five years, I've done a reflection over my entire lifetime. Now, that the catalyst of that were other things in my family, like my disabled son and such, helped me sit back Mm -hmm. and reflect and be more Mm -hmm. authentic and transparent around who I am. 
but the work is with us, no matter what your identity is. That's right. Team, everyone, please go out, go get proximate, get proximate to yourself, as you always say, Callie. And also then that'll open up other perspectives for you to be transparent and authentic and vulnerable and be able to show that humility to be able to get proximate to other people. Alex, I don't know how I could say it any better. Yeah. And it's a journey as we talk about this, is that this is a journey and it's something that some days we're going to be really good at and some days we're not going to be as good at. And really just sticking to that as a guiding principle. Some folks talk to me like they've been listening to podcasts. I've got friends from different industries and they're like, this is great, but I don't have a bunch of people that I can talk to at work or I don't have. And I say, start reading narratives of folks. I'm a big memoir person, right? Start reading narratives of folks who live in cultures that are different from yours. Start listening to podcasts of folks from different cultures or different identities than you are. Start where you can start. But the point is to start. And that then proximity becomes less of this extra thing. And it just becomes a way of doing business. It becomes a way of seeing the world in which you're not only learning, but you're also slowing your role and checking yourself when you jump to decisions, when you jump to judgments about folks, it's that pause to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that person's doing that or acting that way. And then say, wait a minute, let me pause, let me breathe, let me widen my lens and say, they're in a really difficult position right now because of these pieces of their identity or what they're facing or the power dynamics. Before I make judgments, before I make decisions, before I rush into a narrative, let me recognize that narrative is, of course, being influenced by all kinds of bias, by my own lens and what I see and what I don't see. And Alex, proximity at the end of the day is just having some patience with each other so that we can have empathy. And that's the reason I think that this is so important, especially as we're just, I mean, we're just continually to face things that are harder and harder in the world and climate crisis and violence and all of the things that we're facing is the danger is that when we get in those positions of crisis, we forget to slow down and be proximate. And that wears on our empathy. All of this crisis, all of this mode that we're forced to be in is grinding down our empathy for each other little by little. And if we lose the ability to keep getting proximate, if we lose that out of our routines, what we lose is a little bit of our empathy for our fellow humans at any given point. So I would say, Alex, proximity, dare I say, more important now than ever for us to continue to get close and understand each other. So I'm glad we had this journey together. And I hope, listen, this is not the last of Alex and Callie getting proximate. Like we'll, we'll be back in some way. Yeah. And thank you, Callie, for your partnership, your advocacy, your being related to how you and I have grown together over the last few years. And this podcast has been fantastic. And we're going to have a season two. Let's have a season two, Callie. Let's just put it out there. Let's put it out there. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, hey, listen, I got some meats. Like, come get proximate with us. Let's make it happen. But Alex, so grateful for you and the team. I want to give out a shout out to Luke Evans, who's been on us with every call. Y'all haven't seen him because he's been behind the scenes. But Luke, we've just gotten a chance to be proximate with him in between a little bit. And he's always up at a kind of ridiculous hour helping us with this because I think he's in South Africa. But just to say thanks to Luke and Bree and Megan and all of the team and Renee, our superstar Renee, who helps get us prepped for all these recordings. And so just a huge shout out for the team and just thankful for all of you. Keep listening. It's a great thing about podcasts is you can share them with your friends and keep listening and we'll keep getting proximate. Thank you, y'all. See you next season. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Let's Get Proximate podcast powered by Cisco. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.